My name's Damien. I'm a 24-year-old from Newcastle, Australia. When I finished high school, I felt like a lot of my education left out the most important things that I needed most going forward. Stuff like getting a mortgage, budgeting for big purchases and investing were never talked about or explained in any great detail. I want the survival guide to serve as the middleman for anyone looking to learn about finance and property. Each week, I'll endeavour to speak to and learn from some of those in the industry to help break down the details of the finance and property sector. Today on the show, my guest was Simon Presley. Simon is to property investors what a stockbroker is to shareholders. The founder of multi-award winning company Propertyology, Simon is a full-time property investor. He spends his days studying the growth drivers of every capital city and every regional location in Australia. The Propertyology team draw upon Simon's research to help everyday Australians determine exactly which city they should invest in and then buy the right property on the right street at the lowest price. Simon's impressive resume includes being awarded Australia's Best Buyer's Agent for three consecutive years and an inductee in Australia's Real Estate Hall of Fame. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. First of all, just thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, it's cool to have some people in the industry that want to take part in the podcast because it's something, the message of what I want the podcast to be, um, I believe in a lot. Like I want, I want more people my age being 24 um, to be more aware of, I guess, getting into the property market and trying to sort of invest and trying to get more knowledge in um, the industry, you know, so maybe people can become a little more wealthy uh, because of it, you know. So um, yeah. thanks again for joining us. And I just wanted to let you introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, tell us about your background. And um, also, if you could explain to us, um, to a layman like myself who might not know a lot about the property industry, could you explain to us what a buyer's agent is? Yeah, sure, sure. My background, um, look, raised as a, um, a son of a, a father in the army, so I was fortunate enough in my childhood to get to see lots of Australia, which uh, not knowing at the time, Damien, but uh, now as a full-time property market analyst um, who spends my day looking all over Australia, um, I think that helps me have a greater appreciation for how diverse our country is, not just from a data perspective, but um, also having been to almost every part of Australia. Um, I spend my day, um, I guess, similar to what a stockbroker does for a share investor, you know, whereas they're studying the things that affect the performance on, of a company on the stock exchange, I'm doing the same thing for a property investor. Um, a lot of uh, economic material at an individual town and city level and the things that um, affect housing supply um, at a simplistic level, I'm doing that, um, you know, it's the best way to describe what I'm doing all day, every day. And we use that information to help people uh, pick an individual town in a city, a town or city in Australia somewhere to buy a property for investment purposes. So um, that's where the buyer's agency part comes into it. So, so what is a buyer's agent? Well, We've all heard of real estate agents, um, and, and a real estate agent works for someone who owns the property. It's their job to to advertise, market, promote, um, introduce people um, to that asset, and then try to sell it to them at the highest possible price. That's what uh, um, the respected real estate agents do all around Australia. Buyers agents don't have any properties to sell. Um, they're licensed professionals and they work for those who wish to buy properties. So this really expensive financial decision, um, I'd argue uh, buying a property is probably the single most important uh, financial decision that people will ever make. Instead of doing that on their own, 
um, and uh, battling up against um, the sales agent, uh, they might engage a buyer's agent to have them in their corner. Um, so what they do is um, they, they help their client find that right asset for them. Again, they're not selling them anything. So they're looking at everything that's available and then helping them work out um, which one, which individual property to target. And then when they find it, um, because they're buying property for a living, they'll know what questions to ask, uh, where to get additional information, um, tricks of the trade, things to avoid, things to be aware of. Um, and if all that comes up trumps, then they'll negotiate the lowest possible price. So that's what a buyer's agent does. Okay. And, and just coming to that, so with your company, Propertyology, are you guys, is your aim to um, enable people to buy houses that are for investment only or is it for owner occupiers or is it a bit of a mix? Uh, great question. So buyers agents, whilst it's not a really well-known profession, um, they're in all capital cities and some of the bigger regions, but almost all of them will help someone buy a property for whatever purpose that someone wanted that property. So um, let's say, for example, a buyer's agent who lived in Sydney um, had an office in Sydney, they might help someone buy a family home in Sydney or a property for investment purposes in Sydney. That's not propertyology though. We're very, very different to a traditional buyer's agent. Uh, we only take on appointments to help someone buy a property for investment purposes. So in doing that, it is irrelevant to us where that individual person lives, which town or city they live in, because they're not looking to buy a property to live in, they're looking to buy a property for financial performance. So it's irrelevant um, where the client lives and it's irrelevant where propertyology um, is. Again, as I was saying earlier, we see all of Australia as the equivalent of the companies on the stock exchange. So someone who engages propertyology, um, the first part of their service is to say, if you were our client, we'd be saying, Damien, based on all this research and our years of experience, we believe that City X is the place that's best to put your money in for investment purposes. And then their buyer's agents would help find the right property in whichever part of the country that was. Right. It seems like you're pretty keyed into this, like you break it down. It's sim I've never really heard anybody talk about locations in Australia, like suburb to suburb like you would a stock on the stock exchange where did that sort of come from like did you have you always sort of looked at it that way more like statistically and more numbers based like where did that come from uh yeah great question because it's something that we certainly aren't taught and i guess because i'm i'm very conscious of how people are taught about real estate when i say taught it's not something that we um we learn in a formal sense um at a course or in high school or anything like that it's just things right. we pick up as we as we grow up um by watching what our parents do by seeing what other people do um and i guess most people when they buy property it is for personal use it is something to live in so that actually cre creates uh, or trains a behavior for buying real estate there's nothing wrong with that um, behaviour uh, pattern that's created for buying a property to live in because the purpose for something to live in is to really make you happy. And what makes Damien happy will be different to what makes Simon happy. But when it comes to financial performance, we deliberately use some, some different language, um, as you um, correctly picked up here, because we're trying to untrain those really bad habits when it comes to making a financial decision for property. Um, mm -hmm. If we're buying a property for financial purposes, 
we need to um, disregard features and benefits and how it makes us feel and the bricks and mortar and the aesthetics and all that sort of stuff because they're emotional considerations. Um, we need to think, we need to adopt the mindset, a financial mindset, which is like what a share investor has because share investors can't, can't touch anything, they can't see anything. So they understand shares for what it is, a financial instrument. Um, and if you're looking to buy property for financial performance, we need to see property as a financial instrument. Okay, right. That makes sense. It's sort of like thinking with your head rather than your heart almost when it comes to investing. Yes, and we need to be aware that everyone in our life, as well-meaning as they will be, you know, our parents, our accountants, our grandparents, our mates, uh, they will all be programmed um, like I was referring to earlier, you know, pro programmed to buy a property for personal purposes. And then when they go to buy a property for investment purposes, without them really realising it, um, they don't have the financial mindset, let alone the, the, the knowledge that's required to understand the ins and outs of every property market in Australia. Okay. Um, so so part, of the, part of the theme of the show that I wanted to sort of push was that a lot of people my age... I want to try and encourage more people my age to be interested in property and, and have a vested interest in maybe getting into the property market to invest or um, just to sort of build their wealth and that sort of thing. And um, when we contacted you, one of the things we said that was a big driver of the show would be if you could go back to your 24-year-old self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell them in order to sort of set yourself up better for the future if you could? Yeah, um, un understand if the purpose, we, we should all be um, interested in investing, but unfortunately we don't teach financial literacy or even some basic skills for, for investing anywhere in society, primary school, high school, even university, um, you know, people who might do a pursue a financial career such as accounting, something like that, um, that's, a, that's a tax um, uh, specialisation, not a not a longer term financial well-being uh, mindset. So if we, I guess, for those who think, um, who have no interest in investing, just consider this. If you do not invest enough during the roughly 40 years that the average person will spend in the workforce, if you don't make enough good financial decisions, your life when you no, no longer want to work or when your health doesn't allow you to work will be nowhere near as comfortable as what you would like it to be. That's the purpose of investing. Um, the age pension for a, for a couple, uh, two-person two um, household on an age pension is $30,000 per annum. That is it. That is not a lot of money. Superannuation, when you get your, um, uh, you know, your annual or six-monthly superannuation statement and you see you know, these figures with the zeros on the end, it might look like a lot of money, just do this exercise. Work out what sort of annual income that yourself and your partner would ideally need to live the retirement lifestyle you want. Let's say it's $100,000, which isn't a heck of a lot of money, but let's say it was $100,000. Divide $100,000 into whatever you think your future superannuation balance might be. Let's say it was a million dollars. That means you've got 10 years' worth of income to live off. If you want to retire at age 60, and with modern science, we're now living closer to the age 90. You, you need a lot of money. Um, superannuation and age pensions will never cut it. So the key thing is, is to make some really um, responsible decisions with some money that you earn while you're in the workforce 
so that later in life you, you've got enough of a nest egg to do what you want. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting that stat you told you said about the uh, the age pension being thirty thousand on average for a couple. That's crazy. Like it's 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 not even it's it's not sort of it's just in that first tax bracket almost of what you would be if you were working in the force. You know, it's uh yeah, it's, and thirty thousand dollars for an individual. I would argue is still not tight, but you know, doing it yeah. as a couple. And let's also think about it when you are retired. You've got all this extra time on your hands as well, um, and the things that you want to do with that extra time—not uh, everything in life costs money, but but a lot does. So, um, and if we think that um, you know this retirement gear gets easy, every, everyone you know ends up okay. Some official government statistics, Damien. Um, you know, for the number of Australians today that are 65 years or older, and we, I say 65 years because that's the conceptual. Um, you know, societal goal for retiring, age 65, only 18% of the total Australian population that's 65 years or older, which is more than 3 million people, only 18% of them are financially independent, one-eighth, all right? So it's, it's always important to, you know, the younger you get a grasp of this, the better. Um, that Everyone around you, the world-meaning people around you, past generations, they probably have not achieved what they wanted for their retirement lifestyle. So if you do what they did, logic would suggest you'll end up with what they've got. We need to think really, really differently. We need to, and these, these people love us. They trust us, but they don't have the skills. They're not the best people to get advice from. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's a good thing to think about, like, setting yourself up so you don't have to worry about anybody else. You don't have to be reliant on anybody else financially when after 10 years of that money sort of going away, like that example you used, um, yeah, with, with how the life expectancy is now, it's a good reason to try and get involved in investing on any in, in any sort of front. Yep, and anyone can do it, Damien. Uh, anyone can end up living a comfortable lifestyle in their later years. It's not an ability thing. It's an attitude thing. I think it first starts with purpose, understanding what you know what we talked about earlier, understanding what life will look like if I don't um, make some you know um, some good decisions. It doesn't mean um, going through and living off um, the smell of an oily rag. We can still and should live comfortably and enjoy ourselves, but understand the importance of putting aside uh, a small amount of, of what we earn every single pay packet if we just because the, the the most precious resource that we all have in a longer term financial perspective is time and you know what it is completely free time is completely free it costs nothing but it is limited in supply what we do with our time will determine what our future looks like so if we did something as simple as no matter what age we're at in our life, no matter what we're earning, if we had enough discipline to say 15% of my pay packet, I'm going to put aside every single pay for the 40 years that I'm working, and what am I, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to invest that one way or another in my future. Initially, it might just be putting that 15% of our salary in a bank account, and that progressively builds up until it becomes several thousand dollars. And then the several thousand dollars you know, at some point in time might be enough for that deposit on the first property, whether it's the family home or investment property. Um, but use the time wisely. 
Yeah, okay. Um, a bit of a, a U-turn now, I guess, but one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, and it might be a little nitty-gritty, so um, I'll try – I should be able to follow if I can, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about was some of the property market myths that are things that you might see um, in the in the mainstream news, I guess, that is talked about when it comes to property that that are sort of myths that people need to stop thinking as much about, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely does make sense. Um, and look, I'm about to rattle off, you know, there's a lot of myths in property. I'll, uh, I sort of thought about, you know, maybe the five or six most common or biggest myths. But before I do, um, these will confront you. When I, when I say these myths, you go, what? Is he saying that everything that everyone in my life tells me is true is, uh, is not true? Well, I used to believe these myths to be true as well. Um, but there's a thing called evidence, and unfortunately, um, probably property more than anything else, Damien, um, everyone's got an opinion about it because we all live in a property. Um, you know, some, some people we know have bought a property, so they feel that they know property. And over generations, um, lots and lots of things get repeated and said over and over again, so it becomes adopted as gospel, and no bugger ever stops to check the evidence to see whether it's true. Um, uh, except for people like me that love evidence. So uh, the biggest myth in, a, in Australian property markets is that the word capital in capital city has anything to do with capital growth. It has zero to do with capital growth. Um, being a bigger city than a, you know um, one of our many regional locations doesn't mean it is a safer market to invest in or that it will grow in value anymore. Um, that's not an opinion, that is fact. Australia is a country made up of obviously eight capital cities, but there are 200 individual towns and cities that make up regional Australia. Some of those regional cities are really big, like you know Newcastle and Geelong and Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast. Uh, some medium-sized ones like Orange and um, Cairns and Townsville, Bendigo, Ballarat, Launceston, um, and obviously a lot of smaller locations, but they've all had booms. All of them have, have had booms at different times. They've all had downturns, including our big cities. Um, and they've all had periods of not much growth. So capital city versus region are just terms. From a property market perspective, it means nothing. Um, but you'll have lots of people tell you that capital city is safer or better. Excuse the French. Bullshit. Evidence-based um, there. The second biggest myth is that... Um, Population growth has the biggest influence on property prices. I used to think that logically makes sense, not supported at all by evidence. Um, I've invested in locations myself all over Australia. Some of those have had very little population growth rates, but they've been among the best property market performers. A lot of things that affect um, property prices and how much they grow or decline by each year, population growth is a factor but it is nowhere near the most significant factor. Um, another few myths is um, pe people get caught up in what I call community features and benefits, um, whether it's a water view or schools, shopping centres, train stations. These things might um, influence where we choose to live as an owner-occupier, but their influence on how a property market performs is nothing. The schools and the shopping centres and the train stations have always been there, but it doesn't mean that the property market always booms or always goes you know, um, down. Mm -hmm. uh, another big myth is that new is better. 
Um, I, I, you know, buying a new property does not make it better than an older property. It certainly does not make it low maintenance. It used to. The quality control in um, in new built properties, houses and apartments is nowhere near as good as what um, a new property built in, say, our grandparents' era or something like that was. So new is not better. New just means often more uh, a, a more expensive purchase price and a lot of taxes built into that um, first price. And the last um, of the big myths, uh, people can get obsessed with, um, you'll hear the phrase, land appreciates and buildings depreciate. That's true from a tax perspective, but when you go to buy a property, you don't buy the land separately and then the building as a, uh, um, as a secondary transaction. So the sale sign goes out the front and you buy the property as a package. Um, which will have land and building on it. So from an investor's point of view, don't obsess about land size. Okay. Okay. That last one it makes sense too. Yeah, you never buy, I guess from an investment perspective or just to, to live in, you never you never buy the land and the house separately. It's all a combined, I guess, package you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Land size is really only relevant, Damien, if... Um, if you're a property developer, and that's how there are obviously some people, that's how they make their living is to buy a parcel of land somewhere and then convert it into something else. Um, so the land size is important to them because it determines what they can put on top of that land. But the reality is, is that the everyday Aussie, um, they don't earn their income developing property. Um, so, you know, the, the, the land size, as I said, I think they're... You know, I'm not saying everybody, but, but there is a tendency amongst some Australians to get you know, quite obsessive about the size of the land. And I'd suggest that there's a lot more important things to focus on. Okay. Just, just to sort of summarise some of those, those myths that you spoke, to, you spoke about, um, from, from the, the, the small amount of knowledge that I'm sort of trying to build over at the moment, like um, capital growth, that's the concept of... Uh, so if you buy a house, say, if I bought a house in Newcastle now for $500,000, in 10 years' time that grows to $600,000, the capital growth is the amount that that value has gone up over time. Is that correct? That's exactly right, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, capital being sort of, uh, I guess, the value of the asset um, and capital growth being the rate um, of growth of that asset. Um, you know, over whatever period of time we're talking about. Okay, right. And I like what you said too. Something it's, I guess, it sort of is a good way to summarise why you should invest. And it's sort of coming more clear to me is that it's almost like, and again, I'll pardon my French too. Is if if shit hit the fan, and you could only re rely on your retirement money, uh, you might not be as well off as you imagine to be and you might not be able to afford the lifestyle you would like to have in retirement if all you had to rely on was the age pension. Yeah. Uh, you'll retire because um, either your health will stop you um, or you just at some point you just won't want to work any longer. But the quality of life that you'll live if you don't invest sufficiently will not be anywhere near as, as well as you'd like. The problem is, is... People um, realise that when it's too late, like we get we get caught up in the rat race of life, busy, busy, busy. Life never gets less busy; it's always busy. Um, so the best thing is to create good habits, uh, and so you know the the making good financial decisions is is something that we never have to, you know, oh, I've got to find the time to do that. Um, it's like eating a good diet; it just becomes a way of 
a way of life, a financial diet, I suppose. Um, but superannuation, mate, it'll, it'll never, ever be anywhere near enough. And the other thing is, is superannuation rules keep changing. Um, you know, 20-odd years ago, you used to be able to access your superannuation um, at about age 58. You know, today you've got to be 65 years of age um, before you can access it. And if you're 24 years of age today, I'd suggest that by the time you can access your superannuation, with a growing and ageing population, you're going to be in, in your 70s. So what happens if you're in your, your age mid-50s, late 50s, and you just don't want to work anymore? Um, well, you can't access your superannuation even if you decide, well, I just don't want to work. Great, but where's your money going to come from? Because you cannot access that super until you reach that legal age, which, as I said, it's going to be uh, well into into the 70s for your generation. Yeah, okay. And that's why it makes sense to get into investing, whether that's property or stocks or both, or to sort of set yourself up so you've got other branches, I guess, of money coming through that are going to help you out in the future and, and uh, in the current day as well, I guess. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that throughout Australia, we've got our eight capital cities and nearly 200 different parts of regional Australia, the big, the medium size, the small. A lot of people won't be aware of this, but um, there are 111 individual towns and cities in Australia that the median house price or the, or the, or the middle range house price in each of those locations has more than tripled over the last 20 years. More than tripled, right? So if you're um, able to, over the next, you know, have many years, save a deposit um, and buy a property, not just anywhere, you know, um, make this a really important decision that you give a lot of thought to. Which part of Australia do I put put my money into? The the odds are that the best market's probably not your hometown. That's only one location out of 200. So the odds are it won't be there. Make that good decision. Um, and if you do this by, let's say, you're 27, 28 years of age and you bought your first property, if it triples in value over the next 20 years, you will never be able to save anywhere near the rate of what that's worth. Let's say, using your example, Damien, if you bought you know, a property for $500,000 somewhere in the next year or so, and it tripled in value over 20 years, $1.5 million in 20 years. That's, so that, this is how it happens, but the key is you've got to get in the market as quick as possible, get the, getting that deposit ready as quick as possible, and then time will do its thing. It won't grow a lot every year, You'll have some really, really good years. Um, you'll have some disappointing years. But over the course of time, you'll look back on what you paid for it and go, oh, my goodness, that's done really, really well. Um, don't stop at one. You know, at this age, the goal is to get that, that first one. But um, as you continue your journey through your working life, um, you'll need to acquire a portfolio of several properties um, in that portfolio to have enough to retire on comfortably. Yeah, okay. Awesome. Um, is there anything else you wanted to sort of get off your chest before we get out of here, Simon? Again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You've dropped some great little bits of knowledge for me that I, it sort of opened my eyes to things that I didn't really think about before. Always a pleasure, Damien. Um, look, it's um, property is addictive, or that's, um, it is for some of us. Certainly that's why it's my, my profession. That, um, and we could talk about it, you know, to the cows come home. But there's a lot that we've discussed today, uh, some of which will probably be quite confronting to people because, um, you know, as I said at the start of this discussion, that there, there's a lot that um, the evidence says to be true 
um, a lot of that contradicts what broader society believes to be true. And that's probably um, a good a good message to close on, that just because you hear something, even from lots and lots of people, it does not mean that it's necessarily true, especially about property. Easy. Thank you again, Simon. Um, I'll have to I'll have to have you on again sometime soon in the next coming months if you can. Um, there's a lot more I'd love to get your uh, pick your brain about, I guess. Uh, so sometime in the future, maybe we'll do it again. My pleasure. Have a good day. All right. Take it easy.